Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. We're in a great series. I love these. We try to do this at least once a year. We do Q&A where we take questions that you have because that's what we do is when we have a question, we go to God's Word. And we say, okay, well, what is this? I'm wondering about, you know, decisions to make and priorities and lining things up. Well, what does God's Word have to say about it? And so that is what we do. And so we're, we're in that right now. But not only that, but today is, depending on exactly when you started, we wrapped up our 21 days of prayer and fasting today. So you know what I had this morning? I had a nice big piece of sausage and stuff, and then this afternoon, the latte machine is on. I'm going to have about five or six of those things today. I'll be bouncing off the wall of pickleball tonight, ninja. It's going to happen. We are going to get it done. But not all food aside, I hope that you had a really good time. I hope that you stretched yourself, and I was talking with one of my buddies about the fast. He's like, well, I found out I don't have as much self-control as I thought. I thought, oh, it'll be easy just to give up. He goes, it wasn't. I kept, I, he was like, I failed miserably. I gotta, he's like, I'm going to keep going. i got to get this taken care of. But I hope that you enjoyed that, especially those of you who haven't done that before. And, and be sure that you share the stories. We want to hear some feedback from you guys about what happened during this 21 days. Did you get online? Did you get on there and, and see the guide? Did you do some stuff with your kids? What happened? How did that work? What did God really speak to you in your heart? We'd love to hear those stories, so please share those. All right. Well, we jump right in to your questions. And here's, here's how we do this if, you're, if this is your first week here on this is number one thing that we look at is the number one thing we look for is we look for a verse. Is there a verse for that, right? If there's a verse for it, plain and simple, that answers the question. Let's find that. If there's not a verse that really like nails, nails it right on the head, then the next thing we're going to look for is we're going to look for a biblical principle. Like how can we apply this? How does God's word apply to that situation? What are the first two things we look for? And then after that, I can give you my opinion, and that's just, it's, that's just my opinion, and do whatever you want with it. It doesn't matter. All right, so here we go. Number one, first question that we're going to get to today, and man, there was a real theme in really the majority of your questions. A lot of them, the majority of them were like death, heaven, when we die, um, how what we do now affects heaven, what heaven will be like. So many of them, and, and this one is as well, and it said this, when the rapture comes, what happens to children if both parents are taken? Specifically, we have teenagers who have not accepted Christ. Are they left behind? Question mark. And then he says, doctrine of age of accountability. So let's talk about this just a little bit. Well, here's what it says in Romans. And there's not really a verse for this one, but there's some biblical principles that we can apply that's going to make this clear. So we're going to start with Romans 5 verse 13. And it says, yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. So when Jesus comes back and the rapture happens, the Bible describes it this way. One, two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will stay. Two will be lying down. One will be taken and the other will stay. When it happens, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be caught up. So absolutely, you're driving down the road, and the driver gets taken, I hope it's a Tesla because he's gone. Like, he is gone. 
airplane in the air, pilots are taken. Somebody better know how to fly a plane. But it will be, it's going to shake some things up here on earth because a bunch of us are going to disappear. But what happens to those who stay? What is this going to be like? Well, when it comes to children, here's where we start, begin to look at Romans 8, excuse me, 5.13, where he says, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. And then he mentions something, the doctrine of accountability. Well, let me just ask you this. Can you rebel against a rule that's not there? No, you, you, you kind of can't. You're like, I want to rebel, but there's nothing to rebel against. You're a rebel without a cause, for real. Like, just, there just isn't one. There's nothing for you to rebel against. And, and the Bible says, before the law was given, yes, people sinned, but it wasn't counted as sin because there was nothing for them to sin against. And we talked a little bit about this last week with the idea of, okay, well, when, it, when is something, when, when am, I, am, I, am I sinning? If I break the law, am I sinning? And, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, Avery, she's 15, and she's going through driver's ed right now, which is great, but I'm learning of all the laws that I'm breaking like every single day. I pull out of the driveway, and she's like, Dad, you know, legally, you're supposed to come to a complete stop before you pull out of the driveway. And I'm like, no, I did not know that, nor am I going to change my habits. To like, I think every one of us break with some of those laws, and I'm like, I'm glad it's not just a matter of crossing T's and dotting I's and getting everything just, just right. No, but there, there comes an age where we learn something, and because we learn it, there's a responsibility that comes with it. Like a little kid, think about it. A little kid, they, they've got their own set of rules that they live by. The two-year-old, if I see it, it's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If we're playing with it, it's mine. If I've ever had it, it's mine. And will always be mine and will never be anybody else's but mine. If it's yours but I want it, it's mine. I mean, that, that, that's, how, that, that's their logic. And you're like, this isn't yours. And they look at you and they're just, but I want it. And you're like, but it's not yours. And then they answer with, but I want it. And you're like, oh my goodness. It's, it's not the same. And there is something, and I think that says it really clearly, called the the, the doctrine of accountability. And where does some of this kind of come from as it comes from this? Isaiah 7 verse 15 says this. Isaiah's prophesying about Jesus and his birth. And he says this, by the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject the wrong, he'll be eating yogurt and honey. But here's what it says. By the time the child is old enough to do what? To choose what is right and reject wrong. So what do I believe? I believe that the Bible says that when there was no law, sin was not counted against them. A child that does not understand it doesn't know what they're doing. And it says here in Isaiah, before he's old enough to choose what is right and reject the wrong. I believe it speaks to a, a not an age of accountability, but a time of accountability. And I don't believe that there's an age clearly outlined in the Bible because I don't think it is an age. What I believe that it is, is a mental acuity that a person reaches where they choose the right and reject the wrong, or they reject God and they choose the wrong. And it doesn't come at a time, it comes 
And, and here's the deal. God knows their heart. I can't give you the age that it, that is. But God looks and sees and he knows the heart. For some, it may be very young. There are some that mentally, they're, they're, they still, they, they, there's some switches that aren't flipping. The elevator isn't making it to all floors, however you want to put it. But you look and like, they struggle with certain concepts and you wonder like, well, they give their heart to God every week when they're at church and they're just it's like, or, or they don't know what's going on and you wonder what it is. Well, God knows the heart. But what I believe with all of my heart is that children are not saved, but they are safe until they hit that age where they need to for themselves and they can for themselves choose and that God knows our hearts and he knows that. And you may... You may say, well, what about those that they, they mentally never hit a point that they can make that decision for themselves? I believe that God knows their heart. And as it says in Romans, that before the law was given, it wasn't held against them. That it won't be held against them because they didn't, they didn't know how to. They never rejected God. They never got to that because they could not do it. The knowledge, if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden... The sin that was committed was they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't have that knowledge before. They didn't have it. It was knowledge, and it speaks to the fact that you need knowledge in order to reject. So that's what I, I think that answers that one pretty well. But then here's what I want to say about that. It's in response to that, then how, it, how, how, how do we treat children, and what should we be doing? Well, 1 Samuel chapter 3 says this, talking about the boy Samuel. Samuel's mother prayed for him. She wasn't able to have children, so she prayed. and She said, God, give me a child, and if you do, I will give him to you all the days of his life. Well, God answers her prayer, and she gets pregnant. So what she does is she takes him to the temple, and she leaves him there to be raised by the priest. Pick up your kids when we leave, okay? Just, just when, when this is over, pick up your kids. We don't do that anymore. We're, we're not raising your kids. But this, this is what she does. So Samuel, as a young, he, he was weaned when? I don't know exactly when. What do we say he is? Maybe he's five or six years old. And he's brought to the temple and he's raised by Eli. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Eli was the priest. And now we're going to go down to verse 6. So we have Samuel, he's there, he's ministering before the Lord under Eli. So he's being told what to do. Eli's like, all right, you need to clean this up, and okay, you're going to move this over here, and we're going to come in here, and it's time to pray, and we're going to go pray, and okay, we're going to come here, we're going to get the sacrifices ready, we're going to clean up this mess, we're going to get ready for tomorrow, we're going to light the candles, we're going to move this. Okay, this is what he's doing. He's ministering before the Lord. Verse 6, again the Lord called to Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. So it's nighttime, Samuel's sleeping, and God speaks to him. He gets up thinking it's Eli and is like, well, here I go again, right? Okay, Eli, what do you need? Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. And then here's what it says in verse 7. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. In verse 1, it says Samuel ministered, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. In verse 7, it says he did not yet know the Lord. Now, for many of us, we think, well, that can't be. You can't minister to the Lord before you know the Lord. Samuel did. 
So what do I believe our approach to children should be? Is, Is that children are not waiting for anything. That children need to be taught that they can minister to the Lord right now. Twos, threes, fours, absolutely. That we teach them that God loves them and we teach them to have a hunger for God's word. That that's where they go for answers. We bring them to church and we teach them what it is to worship. And they see mom and dad praying together because they can minister to the Lord before before they make that decision. But what I want is I want my kids, I want your kids, I want all of our kids to have godly habits built into their life that they're like, this is the right thing to do. And, and yeah, I go to church and I hear about God's word. And I don't just go, but on the way home, I talk about what I'm going to change. That's what we do in the car is we talk about the things that we're going to change and how this applies to us and, and what do we need to do But we teach children because they can minister before they ever make that decision. We're not waiting like, well, you know what, they're just kids, they're safe, just let them be, run off, do whatever you want. No. We're going to instill godly habits in their life. I pray over every one of your kids every single day and mine. It's like, okay, we want godly habits in their life. Because when the rapture comes, I want them coming with me. I want every one of them coming with. I don't want any of them left behind. I don't think you do either. Okay, so that was the first question. Next question is this one. This one's really near and dear to my heart. But it says this, will there be hunting, fishing, and the consumption of meat in heaven? All right, I love it. Revelations 21, chapter 3. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay, so this is Jesus. He's come back. Here we go. This is the new heaven. What's it going to be like? He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death, no more crying or pain. The former things have passed away. God did not give up on the Garden of Eden. He did not give up and was like, well, that just plan just didn't work. Too bad. Scratch that one. No, 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 no. He's bringing it back. The Bible says there will be a new heaven and a new earth, but that the former things have passed away, it's going to be different. It is going to be different. Now, in the Garden of Eden, they didn't eat meat. We see this in Genesis chapter 9 when Noah gets off of the ark. This is after the flood. Noah gets off the ark. And it says this, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in numbers, and fill the earth. The fear, this had never been like this before, the fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish of the sea. They're given into your hands. They weren't afraid of of people before that. They weren't afraid. And he says this, Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Nobody ate meat before that. He's like, but things are going to be different. Animals now that you used to be able to just walk right up to, not anymore. The fear and dread of man, God put on the animals. God put on the animals. So what's it going to be like in heaven? Isaiah prophesied about it, and he says this, Isaiah 11, verse 6. In that day, the wolf... Is that right? Is it wolf? Wolf? I always feel like no matter how I say wolf, woof, wolf, I'm saying it wrong. 
I practice like five different ways. I go to a little dictionary and hit the little button so that it says it to me, and I'm like, mm, I still don't think that's right. But anyways, the wolf and the lamb, wolf, wolf, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub with the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of a deadly snake without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. So do I believe there will be hunting in heaven? No. Do I think we will eat meat? No. But do I think we will miss it? No. No, I do not. I think it will be way, way better. So am I going to keep hunting now? Yes. Okay. Yes, and there's a verse for that. All right, so here we go. Genesis 10.9, talking about Nimrod, it says, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. May that be said about me. May I be a mighty hunter before the Lord. Absolutely. God gave animals for us to eat. The first animal that was ever killed, God killed in the Garden of Eden to clothe Adam and Eve. Yes, it is okay now. Is it going to be different in heaven? Yes, it is. But does that mean like right now it's kind of like time to go back to these rice patty things, this, just keep this fasting? No, God gave that to us now, but that wasn't his intention. But when he comes back, he's going to set it straight. When he comes back, he will set that straight. Okay, next one is this. How do I find the happy median in this world? I'm getting my life where I want it to be and what God wants me to do. Now, I love this question because I think a lot of people have it as well. But I want to start by reading what it says in Mark chapter 12. And it says, Jesus was asked, what's the most important law? And they had over 600, all these laws. They said, what's the most important? And Jesus answered, Mark 12, 29. It is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Did he leave anything out there? I'm pretty sure he said all. Right? Everybody, just do it for me. Everybody say all. all. Okay, let's try that again. I want all of you to say all. Ready? All. Did you already say it? Like, you beat me. Okay. It's all. And let me, let me just say this. I believe that the most frustrated people on the planet are halfway Christians. They're Christians who have not yet gone after God with all that they are. They're holding back. Any, any part that you're holding back, you're halfway. And that I've, with all of my heart, I believe those are the, they are the most frustrated because they've tasted a little bit of what it's like, but they're hesitant to give it all yet to God, and they're kind of in this, this back and forth thing. They're in this back and forth thing. Here's what it says here, Deuteronomy 4.29, but if... From there, you will seek, God's talking to the Israelites. He says, you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him. If you seek for him with all your heart, not part of it, not like, God, I want to go to heaven, but no, like, God, I give you everything. It's all yours. Do whatever you want with it. It is all yours. Is that scary? Yes. It is. 
And I understand, and I am right there with you when it comes to like, well, what if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? Like, like, like what's going to happen? I, I don't want to be, am, am I just going to be miserable? Is, is that what it is? I'm just going to be sitting here and be miserable, miserable? Well, I don't think so. I really don't. Matthew 10, 39 says this, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I look at what God has for us, and here's the, here's the decision that we have to come to, is that what God has for us is better than what we want for ourselves. My kids, I hope it's easy for them to obey because they believe that I want the best for them. That I'm not like, there's a story that bugs me about my father-in-law that I'm going to share. And he knows it. He already knows this. If you're watching, hi, Bruce. And it's this. It's, it's, and Becca already knows what this is. But how old were you, Becca? Pretty old. You're a teenager? Yeah. 20s? Okay, she's in her early 20s, and her dad says this to her, says, hey, have you ever seen a match burn twice? And she's like, what? No. And he goes, watch. Lights a match, blows it out, and then touches it to your arm? He goes, he lights it, blows it out once. Yeah, blows it out, that's once, and then like touches it to her arm and burns her arm. And he goes, twice. And I'm like, you can't do that. (laughs) Like, that is not okay. A dad cannot do that. Like, you can't, you can't do that. Like, every time, like, she'll, she brings it up. I'm like, don't bring that up. That is, I'm not happy with your dad when you tell me that's Like, like I, he's amazing. I've got, the, I got great in-laws. They're great, but they're still in-laws. And you know what the difference between outlaws and in-laws are? Outlaws are wanted. That's, that's the difference. And I have wonderful in-laws. It's not that they're bad. It's just that they're in-laws. But when she says that story, and I'm just, I'm just like, Bruce, I cannot believe you did that. I cannot believe you did that. You're great, but what, what would you do that for? But here's the thing. We have to come to the decision with God that what he wants for us is always good. That he's not going to do the, watch this match burn twice. Ha <laughs> ha, that was funny. But that's, that's not what our God does. What he wants for us is best. I remember um, many years ago, I was doing youth ministry, and that's, that's what was on my heart to do since I was probably about 13, 14. Um, my youth pastor, Pastor Scott, really just spoke into my life and helped me make some decisions and things and kind of came alongside my parents was like, no, your parents are right, is basically all he said, but he said it well, right? And, and I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that for some other teenagers. I, I want to be that. I was like, I want to be a youth pastor. So I was like, I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to go to school. This is what I'm going to do. And, and, and that's what I was doing. And so I was, I was a youth pastor and absolutely loving it, like loving it. And, and my boss came to me. He's like, hey, let's grab some lunch. I'm like, okay. So we go sit down. He's like, hey, um, we've been talking about you. And I'm like, uh-oh. That's, that's usually not good. Like lunch and talking about me. Like one or the other might be okay, but this isn't good. Like what do you mean? And he's like, I really think that you should be, become a teaching pastor, and, and we want you to, to teach here. I was at my dad's church. I was at uh, Res Life in Granville. He's like, we want you to teach on Wednesday nights. 
And I go, to who? And he's like, adults. And I'm like, no. Like, no. No, I don't want to, no. I kind of like laugh. He's like, I'm serious. And I'm like, me too. No. Like, what? Not a chance. Adults are so boring. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, absolutely not. And he's like, well, I, I, I think you should. And I'm like, oh, and I just start eating some food. I'm like, that's funny. That, that's really funny. Well, a little while goes back, go, goes by, and he comes to me again, and he's like, hey, let's, let's grab some lunch. And we sit down at lunch, and he's like, so we, you, you came up again, and we really think, and he's like, I'm like, the adults. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, no, I do not want to do adults. Are you kidding me? I can't think of anything worse. Like, seriously, I do not want to do that. I love youth. This is what I've always wanted to do. I'm like, Becca loves it. I love it. We love it. This is lo-. like, no, this is awesome. Well, I go home and I'm like, I tell Becca, I'm like, babe, he wants us to do adults. I'm like, no, no. And, and we begin to talk, and when we do, I just get this thing inside of me. It's like, wait a minute. Are you building your own thing, or are you building the kingdom of God? And you ever get that, like, sinking feeling like, I'm doing, I'm doing my own thing. And really, I just got this check, and we talked about it. And I'm like, you know, if they, if they said we could build the kingdom, and the best way to change people's lives and turn their hearts towards God was to have really clean toilets, and they needed me to clean toilets, I'd do it. All they're asking is for me to teach adults. It's, it, it's not as bad as toilets even. Like, like, come on. And so I remember I went back and I was like, I don't want to do this. But I remember I went back and I was like, hey, if this is what you want us to do, we'll do it. And he's like, great, because we already got the plan in place. And, da, 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 da. and I was like, ah, this is happening fast. <laughs> and, and so sure enough, they moved us out of youth, which is where my heart was. Always. That's where it had always been. But we were just like, okay, God, if this is where we can be effective, we trust the leaders here, this is what we're going to do. And so we moved in and we began to teach um, Wednesday night, an adult service Wednesday nights. And we got in there, and I think it was like the second or third week that we were doing it. And, and Beck and I are, are on our way home. And I look over at her, and I'm like, what do you think of adults? And she's like, I love it. I'm like, me too. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, they laugh at everything. <laughs> See? You laugh at everything. I'm like, all my jokes are funny. I'm like, this is just great. She goes, I know. And then she looks at me and she goes, I'm never going back to youth. I go, me either. <laughs> me either. Maybe that's why I'm having, having trouble getting a youth leader. I don't know. But no, but you want to know what happened? God changed my heart. The inside of me changed. The thing, I was loving what I was doing, afraid that if I did something else, I wouldn't like it. But when we follow God, guess what? Guess what he wants for you? He wants the best for you. He wants the very best. And if you want to walk in the fullness that God has for you, just give it all to him. Let go of that fear. John 10.10 says this, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's what he wants for you. So how do you find that balance between chasing after, like, like I want to please God, but I, I, where I want to get in life? Let me just say, 
Let go of the you completely. Just drop it like it's hot. Just drop it. And be like, God, I'm going to chase after you. And here's what you're going to find. You're going to find joy in things that you didn't know. You're like, I never wanted to do this, but here I am, and I'm loving it. I am loving it. That's what you're going to find. Jesus says, I want to give you life and life to the fullest, a rich and satisfying life. He's not trying to get you to do something that you hate. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's trying to help you to lay hold of what the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. So what do I encourage you to do? To completely let go, give it all to God, and watch him change your heart, watch him change your desires, and you'll have more fun than you've ever had before. All right, next question. Oh, this is a fun one. In the Old Testament, there are numerous situations of men of Christ who had several wives. Where did this change? Did it change? And are there scriptures against having multiple wives today? All right. So now we find out what kind of a church we are. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. All right. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This, this begins to address it, and it says this. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, a pastor, a leader in a church, he desires a good work. But a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, and not given to wine. So he says this, pastors, they give up the multiple wives. Okay, like plain and simple. He's like, they need to be the husband of one wife. But where else does it say it? So there's a verse for the pastors. I, I gave that up for you guys, just so you know. <laughs> I gave that up. But where else does it address this? And there's not actually a verse for that. But there is a principle. There is a principle. It's found in 1 Corinthians 7.1. And it's talking about marriage. And he says this. Now, for the matters I wrote you about is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual morality is occurring... Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, so this isn't different, in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. So my body isn't my own to give to anybody else. I married Becca. It's hers. Her body isn't her own to give to anybody else. It's mine. She married me. So the principle is you don't have multiple wives. and husbands. It's, it's hers. It's, it's, it's hers. It's mine. It's not a multiverse purse thing. It's one. And I believe that stands with what the Bible says, that the two become one. It doesn't say three. It doesn't say four. I believe that God's best is one. Do I believe that? So God's best is one. And the last question we're going to get to today is this one. Can you please touch on what the Bible says concerning the rapture and what a Christian should be doing so God finds us and says, well done, 
my servant. And he talks about the great white throne judgment he mentions. And let me just say this. I like what, I like what C.S. Lewis said. I'm just going to read his quote. He says, if you read history, he says, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Paul says it like this, Colossians 3, verse 1. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And let me just say this. Heaven is not an amusement park where they check your ticket at the entrance and then you're just in. It's not. Matthew 5, 19, Jesus is talking about heaven and he says, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But if anyone obeys God's laws and teaches them, they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It says that there's a least in the kingdom of heaven and there's a great in the kingdom of heaven. It is not going to be the same for everybody. The Bible says that those who win souls are wise. And those who win many souls will shine like the stars in the heavens forever. What you and I do today makes a difference in eternity for other people. And I'd say 99% of Christians grasp that. That what they can do can change eternity for someone else. But the Bible says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the thieves do not break in and steal and where rust does not destroy. What you do today changes heaven for them, but it also changes heaven for you. It will not be the same for everybody. We need to set our minds and our hearts on things above, on the place that we're going to be. So many of us are getting ready to go down to Florida, right? Michigan, January, February, they moved to Florida. The people are taking trips. They're going down, taking some vacation, chasing some sun, trying to get warm. So what do you do? You do some things to prepare. You get some jobs done. You move some things around. You change the thermostat. You make sure the animals are going to be taken care of, or you just fill their bowl with a lot of food. I don't know what your style is, but you do something to make sure that they're taken care of. You change around your work schedule. You move some things. You're like... You switch around appointments. Why? Why don't you just take off the day of? Because you'll get down there, and then you got to try to find a swimsuit, and you can't find one. And then you're getting calls from work, and you're not able to. You're like, well, what's going on? For something as simple as a vacation, we plan. We move things around, and we switch, because we realize it changes the way that our vacation will be. Over and over, what we see in Scripture is this. The way that we live changes what heaven's going to be. And guess what? It's the longest vacation you're ever going to take. It's all of eternity. It makes a difference. Mark 10, 42. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, I tell you the truth, that person will surely not lose their reward. He talks about reward. Over and over. In the parable of the talents, in the parable of the talents, Jesus is talking and he says, 
To one is given five, to other two, to other one. To those who do well with what they're given, he says they will be given more. But those who do nothing with it, even what they have will be taken and given to those who have much. What you do today makes a difference. You can change somebody's eternity by sharing God's love with them, yes. And we all need to be doing it. You also need to remember that what you do changes your eternity forever. The decisions that you make, the impacts that you have. Set your mind, set your heart on things above, on the place that you're going to be, and it will be easier and easier to make those decisions and to prepare for that today. Because we know where we're going. We know what's important there. So God, what can I do today to make a difference along the way? Years ago, we went on a, a trip. We went to Colorado. But we didn't really think about where we were going. We just thought we're going to Colorado in the summer. Well, we got out there. And it was summer here in Michigan. But guess what? It was cold in the mountains of Colorado. So we got up there, and we all had shorts. We didn't have any pants. And we are freezing cold. We're camping. So we're in Colorado, but we're camping. And we're Dutch camping. So it's like cold, and we're way out in the middle of nowhere stuff. And oh my goodness, I laughed so hard because my dad was freezing cold. He had no pants. All he had is all these shorts. And he's getting so close to the fire, he singed all of his head, leg hair off. All of it was gone. They were just shiny and smooth. And he kept on telling us kids, don't touch it, don't touch it. Because we kept on coming up and rubbing on his legs. We're like, that's so smooth, that's so smooth. We didn't think about where we were going. And we weren't prepared when we got there. I think I said it last week. When the Bible says that he's going to wipe away every tear, that unfortunately, I do think that many of us are, we're going to stand before God that great white throne judgment, and there's going to be some tears because we're going to think of the opportunities that we missed, some of the priorities that were in the wrong place. So as you leave today, I pray that you pray, that in your heart of heart, you ask God. You ask the Holy Spirit, say, God, is there some things that are out of line in my life? Some places that you're not first. Some things that I've been holding up as first that aren't that you surrender those to him. That you believe what John 10, 10 says, that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give you life and life to the fullest. And that you go all in for him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you serve him and you watch what he does. As you're living for him with all that you have. But before we leave, I want to make sure that every single one of you, you know where you stand with God. So as we do every week, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here, if you're online, if you're listening to this right now, and you say, you know what? I don't know where I stand with God. You can. Maybe you say, I know exactly where I am, and it's far from God. You can come back. Well, you don't know what I did. I don't, but Jesus did. And whatever it is, he took care of it on the cross. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, you can be saved, and you will be saved. If you want to leave here, no one be out of a shadow of doubt where you say, oh God, I'd love the honor of praying with you right in your seat. And when we say amen, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God and begin to walk out a relationship with him. 
If that's you, at the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray together. And when we say amen, your sins are going to be forgiven, set free, and you're going to begin to walk out that relationship with God. Here we go. One, get ready, all the way up. Two, not halfway. Three, shoot it up. Say, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those online, thank you. Awesome. Hands down. Everybody in here, let's just all pray this prayer with those that lifted their hands. But those that lifted your hands, as you say these words, we're going to repeat after me in just a minute. But as you say these words, say them from your heart, make them your own, and let's pray together now. Say Jesus all together. Say Jesus, thank you for dying, for shedding your blood so I could be free. From now on, I'm yours. Forgive me and make me new. With all of my life, with all of my heart, with all of my strength, with all of my mind, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.